morning. morning. Welcome to Renew. My name is Paul. It's been a second since uh, I've been around because uh, lots of travel and our family got COVID. Praise the Lord. I'm fine, by the way. (laughs) Thanks for asking, Pastor Dave. Um, I'm one of the music leaders here at Renew and... um, before we start off with some worship this morning and our call to worship and then some fellowship time, um, I went on a trip to Denver for work. Um, and there was a time, you know, like, I don't know when I go on these work trips, I feel um, away from all of you and I feel away from like home and, and uh, unless I'm traveling with other Christian brothers or sisters, like I sometimes feel away from God and then all of a sudden God is like, oh no, we're gonna have a conversation. And we did. But it wasn't like one of these things where it's like, Paul, I need to tell you something. It was, I got in a conversation about racism (laughs) again with um, a Christian brother who said to me that God doesn't care about your ethnicity or your gender or anything like that, and so we don't need to pay attention to that stuff. And this is someone like I love. (laughs) And uh, I met another Christian, a sister, Christian sister who was reading um, Jesus and John Wayne on the way home. Um, I looked over and she was reading it. And um, she said something under her breath, like she was, must have been frustrated about Christian nationalism and this stuff. And I know this is such a weird way to start up a worship set, right? But <laughs> yes, it is, Paul. Super weird. Um, her father-in-law was named in that book a lot because he is a traditional, like, um, when you talk about the big white evangelical church, he's one of the contributors, and he's a brilliant man. But that's her father-in-law, and she was so mad about reading about it because her whole life had been flipping over slowly over the last three or four years. And when the book came out, she couldn't believe that her family was mentioned, (laughs) that she was reading it. And I didn't, like, want to get into the conversation about whether she agreed with it or not. I just want to ask her how she's doing, because, like, that's a hard road to travel sometimes. Anyway, all that to say is... um, Sometime in the middle of uh, all of the walking through Denver International and landing at SeaTac, I was thinking about what it means to sing songs as creatures made new. I know that in my Christian journey, I've spent a lot of time singing songs and not really meaning it. (laughs) Like as a worship leader, I mean, you have to practice, but like, I like songs, but do I like really like love the Lord behind them or love the, the Spirit of God who animates everything that um, we do now. <clears throat> so um, this song uh, is one that kind of arrived on our doorstep three or four years ago. I don't know when, but uh, it's become one of the anthems for Renew. And if you've never heard it before, that's totally okay. Just um, let it flow over you. But you know, here at Renew, um, the uh, worship team and a lot of the leaders were very 
we're very in love with Jesus in a way that um, animates the way we sing and animates the heart we bring to our worship sets. So um, if you're in need of a moment where you need to reflect, um, and I know today is, is Mother's Day. We're going to talk about that later. Um, you need a, a moment to kind of reconnect with Jesus, or you need a moment to be like, man, the world's crazy, and I just need a second. Um, take this moment. It's all right. Okay? Because what's going to happen, like, in about an hour and a half, we get thrown back into the world that we get to serve with love greater than ours. Oh 
Praise the Lord. So uh, we do uh, just kind of prepare our hearts a bit. Is uh, we're going to do a call to worship, um, and um, just going to kind of set the tone for um, the rest of our worship, our musical worship together, and our prayer together, and as we listen to the Word. Um, so uh, I'm going to uh, read. Um, the uh, call, and then you'll go, go ahead and respond uh, with the orange words. And um, Let's stand together, actually. Yeah. Let's, if, if you can. <laughs> oh, we are wrestling with God and with one another. We long to be embracing, to be reconciling. We come together here, and this is sacred ground. Amen and amen. So while you're standing, I uh, would love for you to... Uh, <laughs> I grew up Catholic, so this usually comes toward the end of Mass. Uh, go ahead and take some time to say hello, greet one another, say hi. It's nice and warm today, super cool. It's usually cold. Um, and uh, I will see some of you out there. Then we're going to return back, and then we're going to worship together more, okay? All right.
yeah, I'm supposed to say something. Good morning, Renew. Buenos días, Renew. Let's uh, gather back. I know we're all excited about chatting and saying hi to one another. Uh, but does anyone uh, talk about our question today? What's your favorite to, uh, veggie to eat? Uh, who likes veggies? Hmm? Oh, some hands. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, I. No veggies over here, so we have. I have just one announcement. Uh, one of the slides is about. Um, no, that one. Next one, please. There you go. Emerge retreat. That's a retreat that our conference is putting together uh, for young adults. If you know a young adult, or if you're a young adult, please, uh, we encourage you to go to the retreat. There's more information on their website. We have the, it's on the slide, but if you want to know more, please talk to uh, Pastor Rudy, he's in the back. He can tell you all about it. He's part of the uh, organization uh, team that is uh, putting together this retreat. It's happening in two weeks. So if you have a friend who is a young adult between 18 and 28, I believe, uh, or a little bit older, that's fine too, um, please uh, tell him to go to this retreat. It's going to be great and you're going to have a lot of fun and it's good just to connect with other people from uh, other churches from our conference, other like uh, community churches. So please talk to Udi after the service and he will give you... Well, that's what that, you can ask him that too. <laughs> uh, so that's all for the announcements. Yeah, questions? Can you excuse the youth? Yes. All the youth... Please uh, go with uh, Teacher Miriam. Today is our second Sunday of the month, and youth is happening this morning. So please, all the youth, go downstairs. Thank you so much. That's all for the announcements. If you uh, guys want more information, we can be more about that. And the people who are online, welcome as well. Oh, sorry, no kids this Sunday. Um, so the kids will stay here with us. There's actually some fun boxes in the back. You can grab that for your kids, and then you can bring it into sanctuary. And then you can. There's a lot of like fun activities for them there. Uh, and we're so sorry that we couldn't have a uh, kid church this morning, but uh, that will be happening in two weeks. So stay tuned. Let's. Uh, Pastor Dave is gonna pray uh, a special prayer for Mother's Day. So we'll just yeah wait for him. Good morning, I'm Pastor Dave. Thanks for coming this morning. And uh, uh, many of us or many of you may be going out to lunch or doing something special for uh, mothers uh, today. Um, we're not one of those churches that are going to do a Mother's Day sermon or, you know, call out mothers and bring them up forth and give them flowers. Um, but we want to honor motherhood and 
um, with a prayer. And so this is honoring motherhood. It's a mother uh, adapted from a Mother's Day prayer um, by Magri de Vega. God of provision and unconditional love, on this day when we acknowledge the importance of motherhood among us, we first give thanks that you are a loving parent to us all. From you all life was born, and in your bosom all creation is nurtured. You formed us in your image as your children and gathered us together as a brood under your wing. You have united us as kindred members of one human family, and we are grateful to be your offspring together. We give thanks for the mothers among us and ask that you strengthen them in their daily tasks, grant them wisdom in the lessons they teach, patience in the discipline they foster, and persistence in their promotion of decency and compassion, both by word and example. May they be given the honor and thanks they deserve, but often do not receive. We thank you for all motherly figures, grandmothers, aunts, sisters, wives, stepmothers, foster mothers, guardians, babysitters, teachers, healthcare providers, neighbors, friends, loved ones, and many others who practice self-sacrifice and embody compassion to all who are privileged to be in their influence. Grant them vigor to carry on their work and the satisfaction that the holy privilege of their tasks affords. We acknowledge to you, O God, that even amid our grateful celebration, many of us come with restless spirits, reluctant to name the difficulties of this day. For some, this day brings the sorrowful awareness of their own inability to conceive biological children. Draw your tender spirit near their feelings of self-betrayal and grief and remind them that those who struggle with infertility have always shared a special place in your heart. We pray for those who have suffered miscarriages, those fatigued by fertility treatments, and those struggling through the process of adoption. May they remember that in your power and through your church, they can still leave a legacy beyond themselves. For some, this day is marked by loneliness and grief as they spend this first Mother's Day as a, a widower, an orphan, or a parent who has lost a child. To those who today live in the wake of death of a loved one, grant glimpses of the resurrection. Bring to them a steady restoration of their broken hearts. Allow them to live in their future with hope and empower them to carry out the legacy of lessons instilled within them. For some, this is a day that surfaces ongoing tensions that exist within our personal relationships and family dynamics. We ask for healing from the wounds of our past, a path of forgiveness for wrongs both experienced and committed, and the rebuilding of trust forged in honesty, authenticity, and love. We give you thanks for the wide spectrum of motherhood represented among us today, new mothers and young mothers whose children are in their most tender years, mothers of grown children who transition into empty nests and a new chapter of self-discovery, mothers and grandmothers of advanced years whose twilight of life is marked by frailty of body but a potency of spirit. Theirs is a cumulative reminder that through our though our lives are marked 
by transition and change, your nurture and affection for all your children remains the same. Therefore, remind us to live with a childlike faith, curious to every wondrous mystery, attentive to every instruction, obedient to every command, and willing to share with every one of your children. We give you thanks, God, caretaker to us all. We celebrate your divine love reflected in human expressions of motherhood. We pray in your name. Amen. 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 Uh, would you rise with me as we some songs this morning? We talk a lot about forgiveness today. <clears throat> Your forgiveness
on that guitar, man. Man, all right. Whew, I tell ya. Um, worship like all new creatures. And uh, Mark definitely plays like a creature. It's good. I don't know what that means, but it's, it sounded cool. So. Oh, he's an animal, thank you, yes. Whatever Dax says is true. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, let's see now. Uh, do I have this right? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, there it is. There you go. Mm.
Sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing praise of your glory. Make that be the sound of our lips, the sound of our heart this morning. So we worship you, God, as you recognize just how distinct you are, how holy you are, Lord. Father, I, I pray even now that you would... Um, Help us understand the, the u- unique calling we have 
each of us the unique calling we have in expressing the praise of your glory. Things beyond our imagination, things beyond uh, what we experience, Lord. Things that are hard to put in words. But you are worthy, O oh God. As we sing this next song, let's uh, raise it up. Worthy is the 
Teach us from your heart, God. The marvels of who you are. Help us to worship this morning like new creatures, Lord. Changed forever, Lord.
You can have a seat. Good morning again. This is our time um, for our uh, scripture passage for our sermon this morning. And uh, before we do that, why don't we just uh, do a prayer just to have our hearts and minds open for what God is going to speak to us this morning. Father God, we're just so uh, thankful just to be here and Thank you for the worship. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. I pray that you can just open our hearts, our minds, uh, just to receive what you have for us this morning. As we read the passage and as we hear uh, the sermon this morning, thank you, God, for um, everyone that is joining us online, for the families that are not here today. Uh, we just pray for them in their homes, wherever they are, that your presence can be with them. And your love can just be in abundance in their lives and with their families. In your name we pray. Amen. My name is Magdiel. I'm one of the pastors here at Renew. And we read in our passage from this morning, it comes from Genesis uh, chapter 33, verse 1 through 11 from the NIV version. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can look up the version. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen. Or for those of you uh, who have their Bibles in their phones, this is a good time to pull up your phone and look for the passage. But uh, we'll be reading from the screen, Genesis 33, 1 through 11. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But as I ran to meet Jacob and embrace him, he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the woman and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, There are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too Bow down. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received my favor, please accept this present that has brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insists, Esau accepted. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God is good all the time, and Christ is risen, yes, 
As a pastor, you'd like to keep that uh, Easter energy going for as long as possible. And this is going to twist off. No, I'm not going to drop my computer. Uh, so we are continuing in our Embody series and uh, talking about uh, the embodiment of our, embodying our faith. And, um, you know, God, because he loved us so much, because he loved us so much that he sent his son, he wanted to speak with us and talk to us face to face, to lift our chins up and to say, I love you. There's hope, right? The world may be falling apart. There may be hard things and sin, but I'm here in person, uh, in the flesh, to love on you, to touch you, to speak with you. And so as the body of Christ, as God's church, we are also the embodiment of Christ's love, of God's love in the world to our neighbors. And at Renew, we're renewed by God for the renewal of our neighbors. And, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic and staying at home, stay at home orders and all of that has kind of deconstructed church, right? Our, the programs, you know, if you're a large church, programs stopped happening, staff stopped happening, in-person service stopped happening, face-to-face -face stopped happening, um, online, uh, people were online for a long time. And uh, I think it was hard. But at the same time, Tim and I were talking, I think what was on the outside, the unimportant things were let go of, right? We had to let go of those things. And what we're now doing is pivoting and trying to figure out what's the essentials, right? What's the core? What's the most important thing? And uh, as the staff and I have been talking and praying, we're realizing the most important thing about church is that experiencing the incarnation of Christ, worshiping Christ together and being the body of Christ and relationships, right? Because God was about relationships, so we ought to be about relationships, not just be about, we're longing for relationships to see and meet one another face to face, face to face. And it's so good coming off my sabbatical to come and see all of you face to face, right? Not just to be preaching out to a screen, to an empty room, right? And say, God is good, amen, and like crickets. No, actually hearing responses. But more than that, you know, talking and conversing with one another, embracing one another. Um, um, as we pivot, and figure out what God is up to through the church. Church, um, we're scrambling. Youth ministry look like, and uh, um, we've got stuff in the works, right? As um, as we gather volunteers, no children's ministry. Church will be for youth ministry. Um, hopefully plans for connecting more, getting outside, getting back to our potlucks and uh, meeting with our neighbors and reaching out, doing ministry. Um, so I'm excited about that. It's kind of, 
exciting, right? I like, I like new things. I like uh, adapting. Um, but face-to-face, and today's sermon is entitled Living Face-to-Face. I love the passage. There are two passages in the scripture that I think vividly demonstrate or um, show God's forgiveness and grace. And can you guess what the other passage is besides this one? Um, Luke 15, uh, the story of the prodigal son, where the father sees the son from the distance, the son who's kind of disowned his own father, run away from home to make his own living, demanding his inheritance ahead of time. The younger son, you know, loses all his money, is at the bottom of his barrel, and finally says, hey, even my servants, my father's servants are living better than me. I'm going to go back home and say, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Let me just be your servant and see if my dad will take me back. Instead of taking him back as a servant, the father, looking at a distance, sees the son, Luke 15, once again, and it says what? It runs towards his son and embraces him. But look at this passage, right? Jacob is so afraid of reuniting with his brother Esau, who, who um, he hasn't seen for 20 or so years. Um, but the last time that he left them, he, you know, there was a lot of enmity and Esau was spitting vengeance, right? I'm going to kill Esau or I'm going to kill Jacob. So Jacob is afraid and he's sending, you know, his human shields ahead of him, right? Like groups. Oh, actually, he goes ahead, but he sends, you know, groups in, in order of importance, right? So the least important in his family go first. You know, next, the closest to him, go next. And then his favorite, right, Rebecca and his favorite youngest child, Joseph, in the rear. Um, So he's kind of hedging his bets, if you just look at it strategically. Hedging his bets, you know, not sure if Esau's going to destroy his family. And at the same time, if you like, he's sending these groups of people along with gifts, like slowly, maybe slowly, each wave of gifts, Esau's anger will be appeased and like, you know, things will subside and we can relax the situation and attend and then finally he can receive me. But what does it say in verse four? Allah, the father um, in the story of the prodigal son, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. A, re, a reunion, a reconciliation, a restoration to the family, to the relationship. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? I have, I have nephews, I have nieces, right? I have sister-in-laws. He asked, Jacob answered, They are children God has graciously given your servant. A family reunion. Um, And then there's this moment where Jacob says, is trying to offer his brother Esau these gifts. And Esau's like, you know what? God has blessed me. God has blessed me, you know, beyond anything I can imagine, right? Right? I don't need it. 
But Jacob says, if I found favor, this is verse 10, in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. So in the midst of this picture of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, we see that Jacob experiences God in the forgiveness of his brother Esau. Does that make sense? Uh, face to face, in, in, in seeing Esau and reconciling face to face, he experiences the face of God himself. And so by that token, we can translate that to our lives, that in, in seeing our neighbor face to face or seeing our relative face to face or seeing our friend face to face, the person next to us face to face, our coworker face to face and experiencing forgiveness, we experience the grace of God. Or when we're gracious to our neighbor, when we're gracious to our family member, when we're gracious to our children, when we're gracious to our coworkers, they experience, they see the grace of God through us. And that's what makes us the that's how we embody faith and be the body of Christ, that we, um, through our reconciling, through our forgiving, through our radical grace, people can see and experience the radical grace of God himself. Amen? Because to see you face to face is like seeing the face of God. We'll get to that image again because that shows up earlier in chapter 32, but we'll get to that. But I remember growing up in Sunday school, going to church and stuff, and in Sunday school, you'd uh, sing these songs, right? These silly songs, and does anyone remember the one that goes, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, and then it goes on and on, uh, you know, when you think back on it, there's a lot of reasons that song is problematic. <laughs> First of all, did, didn't Father Abraham have many daughters as well? Um, woo! <laughs> and didn't their children also have a mother, right? It's not just Father Abraham. Um, and <laughs> uh, praise the Lord, right? But before we uh, stumble over this, uh, this idea, you know, what they're talking about is the God's chosen people, right? The royal first family. Father Abraham, God in Genesis promises Abraham, I will make you a great nation, right? And your descendants will be like stars in the sky, like sand in the beach. Um, but before we stumble over this idea of election and God's chosen people, we need to understand that this is not when we read scripture in the Old Testament and the patriarchs, we talk about the patriarchs um, of the Bible, um, we need to understand that it's not a meritocracy. It's not intended to be a meritocracy, right? God's chosen people aren't God's chosen people because they exhibited some kind of like, we're better than anyone, right? From the episodes around Abraham calling Sarah his sister, right? around Abimelech, which Jacob does, as, or Isaac does as well, like father, like son. 
And then all the drama with Lot, and then the Hagar versus Sarah saga, um, and Abraham's cowardice when dealing with Hagar. Uh, the story of the Abrahamic family line is one marked by turmoil, infighting, power struggle, right? Trickery and deception. They aren't the model family. Right? I, I think they'd have a reality show because it's like really interesting drama. But still God's provision for them demonstrates even more of what, what it demonstrates is God's grace, graciousness, right? God's great character, merciful, compassionate, redemptive. And in all of these things, he's abundant in his love and his provision. And in God's great love, God listens to those who cry out to him and has concern for all people, even beyond the mainstream of the narrative, right? So we do have the line, right? The chosen line and the eldest son, or in Jacob's case, the younger, the younger son. Um, but we also have the minority report, right? The Hagars, um, even Esau, um, the Leahs, right? In Genesis, uh, you have uh, Genesis 29 through 30. If you read back, you have the baby wars, right? If you remember, Leah was the first uh, sister that Jacob had to marry to get to the sister that he actually loved, Rebecca. And so they go back and forth having these babies and naming their babies the baby wars. Um, but when you go back and, and kind of read the names and what they mean, it's so beautiful because you see um, the transformation in Leah, like what is happening to her um, as she receives God's love for her. And it isn't about, oh, I'm the unloved wife or uh, my worth comes from having these kids for Jacob. Um, but go back and um, read all this. But that's all to say dysfunctional, right? Uh, traumatic, drama, uh, manipulation, uh, coward, cowardice. Like you, you got it. Like the worst family you can think of. It's there. So it's definitely not a meritocracy, but it's more uh, the Old Testament patriarchs are not the heroes of the Bible, right? We're not to read them and say, they're the heroes. But God is the hero of God's story, amen? That's who emerges. We are to give glory to God when we see, when we read about these uh, uh, people and their lives. And they remind us of, of us, right? Like, even in the midst of sin, God is still faithful to his covenant promises, even when they mess up, he still is like finding a way, looking for a way. And oftentimes we think the Old Testament is about law and judgment. And then the New Testament, we like reading the New Testament because it's Jesus and forgiveness and grace and love everyone. But that's, that's a misnomer because if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness. You just have to read a little in between the lines, right? You have to, it's a narrative. So you have to read into the narrative and look at the characters and figure things out. And, and then you'll see God's grace is amazing. You know, some of the biggest problems in world history happen when, one, Christians believe it is the elect few 
that are the heroes of God's story and the way the world views heroes, right? That's one. And then two, when Western white Christians co-opt the story of Israel as their own, placing themselves supreme over the other nations and races as inheritors of the promised land. This, I believe, is the core sin behind the doctrine of discovery, which, you know, drove colonialism and imperialism. And, um, and quite frankly, the core sin behind Christian nationalism, right? This co-opting of the Israel story, but connected to, oh, it's meritocracy, right? That makes us better than others. So we can come into your land we can take it because we are the chosen people. Are you with me, church? But the story and the dysfunctional family drama continues with Isaac and Rachel, right? This internal conflict, this striving over who is blessed, who will inherit God's blessing. There's a tension in the first family between the very human proclivity towards a scarcity mentality and how this affects their trust in God's abundant covenant keeping. Will God keep his word and his promises? Will God keep his promise? And so our lives are about that, right? God gives us promises. God says, I will keep my covenant with you. We're, you know, life happens, crap happens, and we're like, oh, think I'm going to control this on my own, right? I, I think, I don't know about you, God. I don't trust it. Right? I'm going to backseat drive for God, right? Um, but let's review. Let's review Genesis. Man, if you want to read some really good stuff, just read Genesis over again. Like, it's so good. Um, Genesis, well, we'll start from Genesis 25, Rebecca has a vision, right? And she hasn't been uh, able to have children. Um, if you remember, Rebecca is the younger, son, uh, younger daughter of Laban, who is uh, Jacob's father-in-law. Leah is Rebecca's older sister, who uh, Jacob has to, or Isaac has to um, marry first. Um, but verse 21 of Genesis 25, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Since she was unable to have children, the Lord was moved by his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. But the boys pushed against each other inside of her. And she said, if this is what it's like, why did it happen to me? So she went, I think every woman maybe who was pregnant has asked that, why did this happen to me, Lord? Um, I shouldn't say I haven't experienced it, but it seems like it, just from observation. So she went to ask the Lord, 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two different peoples will emerge from your body. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. It's like one of these, you know, like Macbeth, right? Like, he who have not woman born. <laughs> like this, this oracle, right? Um, and Jacob and Esau, so when they're born, they're twins, right? Jacob and Esau. When they're born, Jacob is the younger son, but he comes out holding Esau's ankle. And his very, they name him Jacob because his name means usurper 
or deceiver. So basically, Jacob was born a con man, right? Or a grifter, right? Jacob is the deceiver, the con man. And as we read later, he actually lives into this name, right? Case in point, you know, when they're a little older, Esau's hunting. He's hungry. He comes back. Jacob is cooking some really good food. And Esau's like, ah, give me some of that food. Jacob's like, mmm, right? I'm going to steal the birthright from him. So he says, I'll give you this, and uh, you, can, you can have this soup, this red stuff. And so Esau s- sells his birthright to Jacob. And then again, and you can read this later, we, all, we know that we don't all, but we know that we, we can read the story of, you know, uh, Jacob's mom uh, helping him to steal Esau's uh, blessing from the father, right? He puts on sheepskin, uh, the father is blind, uh, Isaac is blind, so he feels Jacob's Um, arm. Oh, he's hairy like Esau. And so he thinks it's Esau and blesses, gives uh, uh, Jacob Esau's blessing, the blessing of the eldest son. And um, this is what makes Esau really, really angry. So if you read in verse 27, 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And you can't blame him, right? Jacob has like manipulated every situation uh, to steal this thing from him. He's basically stolen his title, his inheritance, right? In the Korean culture, you know, the eldest son uh, is responsible for taking care of the family. So usually, like, uh, when the parents get older, they live with the eldest son. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm the second son, so I'm like, I would never steal my brother's birthright. Like, he's responsible for everything, for taking care of my parents. So I'm, I'm just going to chill as second son. But for some reason, Jacob wants it, right? Um, but anyways, Esau's mad. Uh, as an aside, oh, uh, and then... Uh, Isaac tells Jacob, go to your mother's brother's family and go find a wife there because I don't like the, you know, the Canaanite women. I want you to marry from our family. And as an aside, Esau hears this and he says, he goes to Ishmael, right? And marries, uh, he's already got wives, but he marries the daughter of Ishmael. Um, and if you remember, Ishmael's the son of Hagar, Right? And so this, this kind of other line, this minority report. Um, but which, like, who are you supposed to root for? Right? If you remember Hagar, right? She's the first person to name God. Right? He who sees me, right? Hears me. And we feel for her. And, and so the Bible is like, this amazing television series or movie, right, with complex characters. It's like Game of Thrones. There's no one who's good, right? Like, you can't tell who's good or bad. It's not black or white in a show like Game of Thrones. That's what makes it good, except people do really bad stuff, but you root for some people. You're like, they are good, but they're not good, right? 
And so that's what makes good drama. And that's how we should read the scripture, right? It's not black and white. This person's good. This person's bad. God's chosen people, not God's chosen people. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, which is in Malachi itself. But it's mixed. It's mixed. Needless to say, and I got to get through this, uh, Jacob ends up fleeing from his home. Esau is angry. He runs to his brother, uh, mother's brother Laban in Haran, tasked with finding a wife. Um, to make a long story short, Jacob, it seems like, meets his match in Laban, right, and his uncle, because he falls in love with Rebekah, who is Laban's younger daughter. Um, so Laban's like, oh, you want to marry Rebekah? Work for me seven years. Jacob works for seven years. And, but then Laban tricks him, cons him, by putting, like, doing the switcheroo. Leah is in the tent on the wedding night instead of Rebekah. And Jacob's like, what have you done? Right? I asked for Rebekah. And so Laban's like, work seven more years. And, and so 14 years Jacob has to work under his father-in-law just to marry the woman that he loves. Um, he ends up working for him for a long time. So Laban himself is this trickster, this manipulator. But Jacob gets him back, right? If you read, he does, you know, genetic tricks with the animals, with the flocks, so that the ones that are Jacob's be, are more, you know, produce more and are stronger, whereas, you know, Laban's flocks become weaker and don't have, don't reproduce as much. And then he decides to leave, um, also stealing uh, Rachel's, or Rebecca steals some of Laban's household goods while he's not looking. And so Laban gets mad and starts to, ch- I've been conned by the great usurper con man, Jacob. So he chases, he starts chasing Jacob down. And Jacob's going back to his homeland. So he's between two angry people, right? Laban on the one side, and then who knows where Esau's at. Esau's probably still got a bounty on him, right? Still got a uh, wanted sign for Jacob. So um, in verse 32, what we see is Jacob camped out before he's about to miss, not verse 32, but chapter 32, before he's about uh, to be reunited uh, with Esau, he camps out. And there we get some insight um, into some of those things. But I want to go back to this trickster kind of motif and cheater. Like, if Jacob's mother had this vision that said, where God is saying, oh, the younger, or the older will serve the younger, the younger will rule over, um, would the, wouldn't, shouldn't that be enough, right? God has promised me something in a vision. That's enough. But if you read the story, in spite of the prophecy or the vision, like they do, both Jacob and his mother do a lot of scheming, right, and tricking in order to make this kind of birthright happen, to make this blessing, to steal this blessing. So the question is, is this something of merit for Jacob, this manipulation and scheming? Or, you know, 
should he have just waited on God's providence all along? Like God would have given this to him anyways. You didn't have to grab for it. So we're holding that in our head. <clears throat> and Jacob again, <laughs> he's sending groups. He's telling his servants, oh, Esau is coming with 400 people. 400, like, troops. And so they're, like, shaking in their boots, man. What are, is he going to just wipe us out? Jacob does his, you know, kind of strategizing, sending groups and servants and gifts, human shields ahead of him, like, appease, appease, appease. And the things that I value the most, including myself, I'll keep in the rear, you know, and, and I'll survive. So, again, just like with his uncle Laban and just his own father he's like scheming right he's trying to find a way to preserve himself to preserve the promise and the blessing of a good life of you know thriving and the truth of the matter is don't we do that like we know that God is a good God and wants us to thrive and wants to offer has the good life and is offering it to us but we just can't trust it sometimes we'd rather trust our own plans and our scheming, right? We, we'd rather manipulate systems and manipulate people even to make sure that we get ours and to make sure, uh, you know, we get our own good life. Control. Anyone in that have been there? Yes. Amen. <laughs> Ain't no shame here. We know. We know people are people. Um, and then you guys know the whole wrestling scene, right? Right? An angel, or is it God? It just says a man comes and wrestles with Jacob all night. Okay? That's like, oh my gosh, what a marathon. And Jacob won't let go of this person. Right? And we later, I won't get into, like, you know, scholars think it's God because he later says, I wrestled with God. And. Um, some people think, oh, it's Jesus Christ, you know, incarnation of Jesus Christ, like Jacob is wrestling. Um, but anyways, they wrestle. Jacob won't let go. <laughs> and then the angel or man or God is finally is like, this guy doesn't quit, right? And Jacob's like, bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the guy's all, okay. And so again, the reiteration of the promise, right? God saying, I will make you a great nation. Your descendants will be like stars in the sky. I'll rename you Israel, right? Here's your name. Here's your blessing, blah, blah, blah. And then he takes out his hip. He strikes his hip, right? And this is curious, right? Like, why do you think God strikes Jacob's hip? Right? Just to be like, you know, you ain't that all that. I could have taken you out earlier in the evening, but just so you know, <laughs> I think it's so that Jacob can't run, right? And to this day, you know, it says, the scripture says, you know, God's people don't eat this tendon, whether it's like this, the hip tendon or like the sciatic nerve or whatever. And if any of you have had sciatica or like hip pain, like it's hard to move, right? 
But he just takes that out. And I think it's so Jacob can't run because all of his life he's been running. Right? Rather than face the relationship or the issue head on, he, he does the conniving way, the roundabout way, and then people get angry and he runs. And now he's about to face Esau, his angry brother, and he's really afraid. This is like the night of desert night. And he can't run, right? If Esau was going to chase him down, he can't run. He has to face Esau head on, face to face. <clears throat> when we reconcile with one another, we are participating in God's work of reconciliation in the world. When we look at one another face to face with love, compassion, grace, forgiveness, remorse, and a desire to make right and honor the other and uplift the other, we see in one another's face the face of God. As much as we do these things with one another, we do it unto Christ, amen? When we forgive one another, embrace one another, recognize the humanity in the other's face, we experience the resurrected Christ. We are strengthened in our trust in God's redemptive work. When people witness the body of Christ, that we are reconciled and reconciling people as they witness a community of difference coming together as kin, they witness the fullness of God's love for all his children. It's human sin that jockeys for position. It's human sin that causes us to manipulate and compete and rob and oppress to ensure our own survival, to grab for our birthright, to cheat for our blessing, to steal the promised land from the hands of people who were already living there. Rather than to be still with our hands up and allow God to gift us. You know, it's great that Jacob, you know, reconciles with Esau, but it doesn't end there, right? Because what does Jacob end up doing? Esau's like, come with me, come with me. He's like, oh, my people are tired. I don't want to drive them too hard. We're going to take our own place, and we'll go behind you. Right? He says that, and Esau's like, okay, I'll see you back at home. What does Jacob do? He goes the exact opposite direction. And he built, it says in verse 17 of 33, Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place, what? For himself. And this is all to say that reconciliation is not an overnight process. It's not easy. You take two steps forward and three steps back. It goes on and on and on. Why? Because people are people, right? We continue to sin. We make the same mistakes over and over again. We hurt people in the same ways we've always hurt them in the past. And then also institutional and systemic hurt and pain are not easy to call out, are not easy to name, much less change them, right? Reparations for the past are impossible to do, it seems. 
but God continues to be the hero of our story, blessing his sinful and perfect people, raising up the minority report to teach the powerful and the blessed our own hurtful ways and to be an expression of God's grace and mercy. Right? I asked this, right? Is Jacob... God does choose Jacob, but is Jacob like the good guy and Esau is the bad guy? But Esau was blessed as well. And when you think about it, why are they fighting over God's blessing when, as the woman in, in the gospel says to Jesus, even the crumbs from God's table is enough for me. Even the crumbs, right? There's enough. It's all about abundance. If we knew that God's blessing, yeah, yeah, he blessed you, right? You're the lot in the line, but he blesses, he blesses. That's what God does. God blesses. That's what he does. He blesses and blesses and blesses. And so there's no reason to struggle and fight for something. It's us, if you read the Cain and Abel story, like, why did Cain get angry? Right? It's us that compares and says, oh, they got the better prize than us, than me. I'm, that means I'm not as good. And as long as we are in that rat race, we're always going to fight for power. And as, as long as we're always fighting for power, we are going to dominate we're going to manipulate, right? And we're going to hurt. And so as the people of God, I leave us these questions. Relationally, who or what have you been running from? Who is the Esau you must face? In what ways are you gaming life and others rather than trusting in the provision and abundance of God? And finally, how does, or how does a scarcity mentality affect how you relate and treat others? And finally, how can you live more face-to-face with people in your life? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, your gift and your promises to us. And help us to every day trust in you more and more uh, instead of our own devices. And as we honor the dignity of other people and honor them as kin, may they see your face in our face and may we experience you in in their love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord for the forgiveness of God. Um, let's, let's rise together.
that place, Peniel, which means uh, I have seen the face of God and lived. And uh, so that face-to-face and seeing God's face. And what's amazing, I was thinking about this morning, is when we look at someone who's of a different socioeconomic um, situation as yourself or a different ethnicity of yourself, you actually are seeing the face of God, our Father, and we're all kin, and so that's what brings us together, and the church should be the embodiment of all of God's creation and all of God's children, amen? So go from this place, look at people face to face, and experience the face of God, amen.
sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you 